welcome back to Skeptics and Seekers. Uh, this is a special supplemental episode, uh, a solo series where I was a guest on Robert Stanley's Atheist Podcast, the Right to Reason Podcast. Uh, it's a great show. I, I have a lot of respect for, for Robert. Um, we basically got together to discuss the dreaded Abraham test. Would you kill your son if God commanded you to do it? Uh, you know, a topic that, I, that has made me very popular on, on this podcast here. But that yeah, it, it was great to, to re, uh, reach out to Robert and get sort of his uh, back and forth, go back and forth with him about that. Um, and yeah, and see how I, I thought it was a great discussion and everything was very cordial. So yeah, uh, Robert was kind enough to give me permission to post it up, uh, my audio up on uh, SNS so you guys can get to listen to it. Um, Robert's version won't be up for another three weeks, um, but in a, in three weeks' time, I suggest go to check out his website, go and support him. Uh, his version of the podcast will be better quality, obviously, and uh, more polished, uh, edit through the editing process. But um, as a bonus to sort of make it up to the SNS people, um, because my editing skills are not that polished. Um, there is additional material in, included in this podcast that you won't be getting on Robert's or Robert's podcast is going to edit that out. Um, so I, I've included some inside conversation so you can see how how we're civil both on and off uh, air with each other despite the fact that we have strong disagreement with each other on these these important issues. And in light of everything that's happened on the unbelievable boards in terms of Christian versus skeptics and and that whole incident and, and everyone trying to in recent you know after that sort of blow up I, I've noticed that people have taken the effort on both sides to really act cordially together with each other which I has delighted me it's, it's made David and Andrew happy because I've spoken to them in private about it um, so yeah, I, I just wanted to, to include some some behind the scenes stuff I removed some stuff where you know that's inappropriate for for a Christian audience I think like you know he's we're talking about Bigfoot's uh, one of his guests going on about Bigfoot's genitalia, which I, I needed to remove that stuff. But outside of that, um, yeah, this is um, there's some behind the scenes stuff that I think the fans will appreciate, uh, and it shows. Look, Rob, Robert's a real guy. Uh, he, he's the same as he is um, off air, and, and he treats his guests respectfully, and, and vice versa. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you guys will enjoy that. Uh, uh, enjoy the show. Hi, I'm Dale Glover from Skeptics and Seekers. I'm the Christian co-host there, uh, guest starring with Robert Stanley here on his show, Right to Reason. Um, and in terms of me, I've been the Christian co-host on Skeptics and Seekers for about 10 months now. Uh, we just wrapped up our first season finale, so people can go and check that out on the skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. Uh, um, and check out, you know, some of our shows there that we have lined up for you guys. Um, but yeah, uh, in terms of today's topics, uh, we're going to be talking about the dreaded Abraham test. So in a nutshell, I take the position that I think uh, Abraham was morally justified in being willing to sacrifice his son based on a commandment of God uh, to do so. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. And uh, just before I go, I'm Dale Glover and... Remember, you have the right to reason with the Right to Reason podcast. Genesis 22, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, 
whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. Del Glover, so happy to be talking to you today. Are you saying that that's, that's something you're okay with, like God telling Abraham to kill his son? Uh, yes, it is. Uh, yeah, first of all, th thanks for having me, I gotta say. Um, but, but yeah, in, in answer to your question, yes, I, I do think it was morally justified, both for God to give that command and, and for Abraham to obey in, in the way he did. Whew. Okay, I want, I want more to ask you about the Abraham side of it, because if God tells me to do something that's bad, then I shouldn't do that thing. I'm probably, I would think I'm crazy, right? But, but before we get to that, you're saying it's okay for God to say that? Is this like a divine command theory kind of thing? Like, can God do anything wrong? Uh, so no, God, God can't do anything morally wrong. So, so that's sort of the, the question. Was it morally wrong to, for God to give this command? And uh, hopefully in this, this show I'll, I'll be showing that no, it wasn't. What if, what if God just starts kicking a pregnant woman in the stomach? Does that mean it's okay to kick a pregnant woman in the stomach? Okay, um, so so no, I, I would take the view that God God can't do um, immoral things. So, for example, God can't lie. From a philosophical standpoint, I would I would say God can't violate a moral principle. Um, if if he does an action that violates a moral principle, then he's an evil God, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But what what happens when he does violate a moral principle like murder? Um, so I wouldn't say in that case he's violating a, a moral principle. Um, so the way I've ap approached, and I don't know if you want, let me know when you want me to get into it, but the, the way I've, I've, I've approached, um, you know, this topic is I, I've broken it down and, and sort of analyzed it in terms of the three main areas of moral disagreement. Um, so, you know, there's obviously there's factual differences between us. Um, but then there's also the issue of moral principles, which is what we're starting getting into. So, uh, in the first place, what moral principle is, is being claimed to be violated? Uh, what's the nature of that moral principle? Um, so are there any qualifications or, or things that can exempt that principle? Um, and then the, the final area is the related to the moral hierarchy. Sometimes moral principles will conflict with each other. And, we have to, you know, it's not morally ideal, but we have to sacrifice on one and, and sort of do the, the lesser of two evils in some cases, or, or, you know, yeah. Okay, so is it possible that you're just looking at it like the other way around? So like you say, well, God can't do anything that's evil, but then if he does do something that initially we would have thought was evil, that after he does it, you go, oh, well, that must not have been evil since God did it. Is it, is it possible that you're kind of just looking at it from a different direction? Um, so, put it, so put it this way, from an ontological perspective, it's just, no, God can't do anything evil, period. It, it's out of his own morally perfect nature. It, it's impossible for him to... The flood. The flood is, is probably the most evil thing I've ever heard in, in my entire life drowning people i mean think about all the all the children uh mm -hmm. the, the puppies the, the kittens you know like it's it's a crazy it's a crazy evil thing to do how could that not be evil um well it would be the same justification as 
the Abraham test, actually, you know, obviously he did kill babies. Uh, babies died in the, in the flood and that sort of thing. So that's why you have to ask, is it violating a moral principle? Um, so in this case, it would be the, the principle of life or life preservation. And it comes down to, in the first place, is there is there such a principle? If the atheist is going to make a claim that God that would do the flood or order Abraham to sacrifice his son... It, is that violating a moral principle in the first place? So one might deny that there's a principle of life and say, no, there's a, a principle of existence. So all God's doing is changing their mode of existence from a, an earthly life to sort of an afterlife mode. Um, or if you do take that there is a principle of life, then, okay, well, what's the nature of that? And I would say, well, it's we have a duty to preserve and uphold uh, life so long as there isn't a moral justification for doing, for for um, taking that human life, um, so yeah, that you know, I have various thought experiments and that sort of thing. Um, in the first place, okay, yeah, give, give me a thought experiment because I, I got to be honest, what you're saying to me is just not, it's not getting through. And sometimes it's it's a little bit easier if we kind of look at it from an abstract scenario, maybe pull the emotion away from it alone just try to be really pragmatic or really logical with it because i gotta tell you what you're saying it just sounds horrible to me <laughs> it sounds evil it sounds like you're justifying evil like like some kind of uh, uh um somebody's like just defending hitler you know after after world war ii then it just it really when i'm listening to your words it's 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 frustrating so maybe maybe if you give me like a walkthrough Sure, and and in the first place, um, because I'm I'm horrible at uh, managing my reputation. I, a lot of my listeners have heard me say this kind of thing and have reacted in in the same same way that you have and that sort of thing. So, let me just first state by saying that it isn't morally ideal that anyone should die. It, it's not like it's a a great thing that people are are having to be killed by God through the flood or or that sort of thing. So it, it's not morally ideal. But yeah, I would stop short in saying, no, it's an evil thing that God is doing this. Um, so, yeah. In, in but you also justified Abraham doing it. That one's, that one's even crazier to me because, you know, I'm an atheist. So it's like I don't have any problem with just saying, okay, maybe maybe you think it's okay for God to flood the world and drown babies or whatever. Um, but God's not real anyway. Who cares? But it starts to become almost like a real-world threat. Uh, people like yourself that think it's okay for Abraham to kill Isaac, which I know, I know, you know, he stopped him and there was the, the animal with his horns caught in the thicket and the angel mm -hmm. said, don't do it. Yeah, I, I, I get the ending, but to say that that's okay, that's kind of scary to the rest of us because all we think is going on is you guys are hearing voices inside your head, right? Yeah, and that's that's a good point. So th this would be an example of a factual difference. Um, how do we actually, in order for me to do it, there's there's strict conditions, and I can't believe I forgot to mention this, but yeah, I would have to know um, to a very strong degree. I would I would say 100% have 100% knowledge that a morally perfect God is commanding me to do this. Um, before I would even do it. If, if I don't have that degree, then I say, no, I'm not going to do that because there's 
an element of doubt. My 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 moral conscience is screaming out, you know, don't don't take the life. Um, also, um, like you said, you don't you don't know. There's an element of doubt. Is is God morally perfect? Is it actually God telling me to do this, or is it a hallucination and that sort of thing? So, yeah, I would err on the side of caution unless that condition is met. And I think in Abraham's case, that condition was met was met and that's why it was moral for him to obey god and be willing to actually sacrifice his son dale are you a father yourself i'm not no okay maybe maybe that that could maybe be somewhat of a difference like i i think about my kids and it wouldn't matter what was going on in my head and, and in fact if i did start feeling uh, some kind of mental disorder is the only way I would characterize it, it of, of me being told to kill them. I think at some moment of clarity, I would try to communicate that to the wife and I would try to get as far away from them as possible. Uh, and then, then there's the other side of what if I did have that certainty that God wanted me to do it? Why not violate God's instruction at that point? I mean, what, what, what kind of coward was Abraham, that he wouldn't even stand up for his own child. I don't care if it's God or, or Zeus or uh, Allah or whatever. I'm not going to do it. And I don't care what you do to me. What if What if you had knowledge that the God telling you to do it was morally perfect then? W wouldn't that make a difference? I mean, the, I, I get that when you say, uh, when I was on David Smalley's show, he mentioned this as well. Well, I don't have kids this is why I answer the way I do. But I think that's bringing in an emotional, admittedly, yeah, we, we are emotional beings and obviously it's a lot tougher to actually carry through these actions with your own kids as opposed to talking about it in the abstract. But if there, if I can establish that there is a moral justification and that it, you know a morally perfect God is telling you to do this, then yeah, you sh you should do that. Your emotions shouldn't interfere. Um, would you agree with that much? If if you had knowledge that it was a morally perfect God telling you to do it, um, there's there's a contradiction. Okay. You're saying a morally perfect God is telling me to do A, and I know that A is morally imperfect. So. That, that in itself, the statement itself, uh, is contradicting itself, right? It, it's like it's like saying um, this statement is false, right? Like we can we can make um, arguments that refute themselves and that, that then become nonsense. And I, I kind of get the impression that that's what you're doing is you're in order to um, placate, uh, in order to uh, defend, in order to try to justify. You are just tearing yourself up logically because you're saying uh, if a morally uh, perfect God says to do a morally imperfect thing, then you should do it. But I could make the same argument and say if a morally perfect God says to do a morally imperfect thing, then I shouldn't do it. But both, both things have equal level of significance. They're, they're on the same moral plane. Sure. So I, I think you're, the way you're establishing the logical contradiction 
would be true if we had knowledge that God is a morally perfect God is telling me to do a morally imperfect thing. But that's the assumption that you're smuggling in that it's that it is in fact morally imperfect, and that's that's what I would. Killing your kid be be moral. Okay, so so let's look at the principle of life preservation because this is when we say something's immoral. The way I understand it is we're we're saying there's an actual violation, and I've defined that uh, principle as okay, we we preserve life, human life, so long as there isn't a moral justification. So in, in the first place, do do you personally believe there are any circumstances or cases when it could be morally justified to kill another human being? Uh, depending on how you define human being, um, we've recently just had the abortion debate. Okay. Um, so it, it's, uh, I, I, I'm pro-choice for the most part. I would say that there are times that it's appropriate to, to end someone's life. Um, I'm also in favor of uh, assisted suicide in the case of suffering. So, of course, there, there are scenarios where I think I could kind of get where you're coming from there, at least. Okay, and and okay, so, so that's good. So that's established a baseline, you know, for me, I would say self-defense or, or war. Um, sure, sure. Okay. Um, okay, so another thought experiment then. What, what about the nature of innocent versus guilty lie, um, lives? So I sort of put a thought experiment uh, together where, let, let's keep it simple. You're, you are the only person in a position to do something here. And you become aware that a pregnant woman is uh, holding a remote control button to blow up an office building full of full of innocent workers. Um, you have a choice of shooting her, but by shooting her, you will kill the the innocent baby and in, the innocent fetus in her womb. Um, but you'll save all those innocent lives in the in the office building. Um, what would you do? Is it justified taking an innocent life to save those? Um, well. To be clear, you're, you're conflating two things. You're asking what is the most moral act to take and what would I do? There are scenarios in my life where I would choose not to take the most moral act. Okay. Um, and uh, for, for instance, um, perhaps a, a situation like this, I, I might not be capable of doing that. Um, I can tell you that the mo I think the most, the most ethical thing to do would be to shoot the person, to shoot the pregnant woman. Um, I don't know that that's what I would do. So uh, it might be a, a, a tiny little caveat to it, but uh, I also think that it's it's applicable in terms of what we're what we're really talking about, the Abraham Isaac story. Um, but but uh, to, to give leeway, you know, to, to continue the the analogy, please please continue and, and and know that my answer would primarily be the best thing to do is to to pull the trigger. Gotcha, and, and that's all I'm concerned. Like I might be a hypocrite. I, you know, I talk a good game, but I might, in actuality, not follow through on any of this or something. Um, yeah, we're, I'm just interested here in what is the ethical ought. What what ought we to do? Um, okay, so so exact same scenario, but this time it's a bomb in a prison full of guilty rapists, murderers, and that sort of thing. But, would you kill that innocent baby's life by shooting the woman to save those quote unquote guilty people? I don't know. Okay. I, I think I think probably pulling the trigger again would be the most ethical thing. Gotcha. Okay, perfect. Then I agree with that kind of thing. So okay. Um, my other thought experiment, which is 
gonna get um, gonna be relevant for my own personal moral, ju moral justification. Oh, um, oh, we got we all the just before you said my other thought experiment. If you want to start back from there, it was some kind of clumpy thing. Okay. Okay. Uh, so I have an, another thought experiment, and this one is testing uh, the morality or justification for killing based on special knowledge. Um, so in this case, uh, let's pretend you're a historian, you, you've got knowledge of, you know, Hitler and that sort of thing and World War II and all of that, um, and you're taken back in time to the year 1889. Um, you have no way of proving or demonstrating to the people back then that you, ha that you are from the future or have knowledge from the future of what's going to happen. Um, but you're presented with an opportunity. Um, there's only two choices. You can either kill baby Hitler and prevent the negative consequences of World War II from coming about. Um, keeping it simple, all else will be equal, so there, there won't be any negative ramifications apart from taking out World War II and the harm if you kill Hitler. Um, or do you think uh, one ought to leave the babies innocent? He, he pit, this baby Hitler hasn't done anything, let's let him live. Uh, what do you think we ought to do in that case? Well, well now we're leaving ethics and going to pragmatism. So in that scenario, what you ought to do is not kill an innocent life. Um, okay. Prag not being pragmatic, uh, it, would, it would certainly be a good thing to do because you, excuse me. <coughs> oh, I'm gonna have to fight through this. I'm trying to, I'm drinking coffee, which isn't a good idea for, oh. for whenever you're, you're feeling coughing. <laughs> anyway. Ginger ale's better. Let me, let me start over. I'll start, start back from the beginning then. Okay. Well, now I think it's contagious. Here we go. But now I think you're, you're confusing being pragmatic with being ethical, because the ethical thing to do there is to not kill someone that is innocent. Um, so in that sense, it would be unethical to kill Hitler. But it would certainly be pragmatic to kill Hitler, even even as an infant, because we know what's going to happen. So I, I think that's where we would we would probably divide. Yes. Uh, yeah, and you're right, because I, I, I would answer, yeah. Um, I mean, we in terms of him being innocent... That You'd stop that little baby into hamburger meat, wouldn't you? Um, well, I wouldn't go that far. I, I would, <laughs> I would, I would kill him if killing him was how would, the. How would you do it? Uh, I guess in the most humane way I could think of, or or was capable of doing. I, I mean, I'm not going to try to torture the guy or, or make him suffer or something like that. Um, but yeah, I, I do think no, the ethical person would kill Hitler. Um, in these circumstances. Well, Again, would a bullet be the, the easiest way? What would be the easiest way? Would a bullet do it, do you think? Would that be the, would that be the most humane way to kill baby Hitler? Sure. I, I, I think, you know, people, if you shoot someone in the head, they, they definitely lack the amount of suffering than if you're lighting them on fire or, or drowning them even, um, to go back to the flood a bit. But... Um, yeah, what, what's wrong with shooting them in the head with a gun? That That's quick, efficient, um, less painful. That's the point. There is something wrong with shooting a baby in the head. That's the point, is, is that would be unethical. You can't... Killing someone that is innocent is unethical. No, you just admitted that it's, it's okay, because you killed that same baby as a fetus with that pregnant woman. Hmm... Collateral damage. Okay. 
same same effect though i would say and uh, okay uh but yeah this could be a place where we diverge and this you're probably not going to buy my answer then because i i'm going to be arguing that yeah special knowledge in this case knowledge of of saving six million jewish lives down the road and and all the peep soldiers that died in world war ii and were bombed and that sort of thing yeah that's worth the cost of one innocent baby's life um yeah it's debatable whether he's innocent i guess he's innocent at that moment but yeah um i would say that's a moral justification and where i was where i was gonna go if you agreed with that is is saying okay well in terms of the mechanism of how we get if special knowledge is a moral justification based on you know special knowledge of the future and preventing certain future harms from coming about and provided that's the only way to prevent that harm from coming about then yeah that's justified and it doesn't matter how we come to have that special knowledge whether you're a time traveler or maybe god reveals to you the future and you know pretend you're hitler's dad and god reveals to you this is what you know your little bundle of joy is going to do in the 1940s um so yeah that that would be sort of my take on the moral principle aspect that there is a justification based on special knowledge of the future to prevent those harms um so i I guess getting into sort of the third source of moral disagreement so people can sort of see well what am i talking about here so in the context of god and the abraham test or the flood or or any of you know the the quote-unquote genocides or i would just call them the conquests and these sort of things um i think that the there are principles that conflict so there's the principle of beneficence or the principle of non-malfeasions um so in context that would be i think or i would throw it there as a suggestion saving as many souls as possible sparing them from going to hell um and i think those goals trump the preservation of an of an earthly life um or preserving that earthly life um, so that's sort of my answer. God, in it, Molinistically knows um, through his foreknowledge and omniscience um, what set of circumstances to bring about that will save as many souls as possible. And just so you know, the process of salvation entails uh, libertarian free will. You, you have to choose uh, to place your faith in God. You have to choose to repent from your sins and and God can't through his omnipotence force someone to do that so this is why there's an element of the human needing to freely choose to place their faith and repent as part of the the package deal for how God could bring about saving as many souls as possible um so yeah do you have anything about that specifically no I was thinking uh uh I would just go into the the Terra thing, and um, before I was gonna bring up two others. I was just gonna let you have the last word on that one, actually. Before you do, just just for my knowledge, because I didn't ask David Smalley this, but I I am interested in your take. Do do you think so? I get with the Hitler example, you don't think saving six million lives is necessarily worth the cost of an innocent baby. But what about the salvation of a soul, sparing someone from hell, um, and and going into 
you know, a state of salvation or something like that. Do you think that might be worth an earthly life? In, in the scenario that there is a literal hell and there is a literal heaven, um, what's, what's the, the situation? I'm, I'm killing someone before they have, the, 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 before, they each, before they reach the age of reason to prevent them from potential hell? Is that the idea? Um, well, and it's not even necessarily about um, the individual person that you're saving. So pretend there's the spiritual equivalent to baby Hitler. Um, so by letting this guy live, you're gonna six million souls will be damned. Whereas if you kill him, six million souls will be saved. Um, in that case, yeah, that's that's the justification that I'm going for here. Oh, I see what you're saying. Sure. Yeah, I think I think adding a belief of paradise. Paradise. Yeah, okay. Also, I think adding the yeah. <laughs> I think adding the the concept of paradise and the concept of eternal torment will make us uh, make different decisions. It it allows us to be, to do evil things on this earth, um, and I think that that that's proven with this analogy is when you add those factors in yeah pretty much everything's on the table at that point just from a utilitarian perspective i i could commit horrible atrocities uh, i could definitely shoot a baby in the head um that's that's the problem with your faith that's the problem with religion that's the problem of of believing in an afterlife especially an eternal one is it devalues what we have now and i i gotta ask you what if you're wrong man what if everybody's been wrong about god all this time what if the atheists are right think of all the harm and suffering that has been done in the name of god gotcha yeah and i, I think that that's where it comes down to is the the factual differences um so in, the, in this case you know the question of First of all, what about if you're wrong that God is actually ordering you to do this, or if He's morally perfect? Um, maybe, maybe God is real, but He's just an an evil, uh, an evil bugger, um, or something like that. So, so yeah, I, I do think that you have to come to grips with the the factual basis. Is there even a, a heaven and hell and that sort of thing? So, the in terms of Abraham, to to bring it back to him and, and to me as well, that. I wouldn't do this based on divine revelation. Um, I, this is where I think ISIS or, or Islamic jihadis are totally wrong. Um, and I know you're going to bring up a, another example, I think, you know, when we get to that. But people that kill based on, okay, well, I've read in the Bible, it says, let's go out and, you know, go out and kill people. Um, I would never do that. My answer would be no, because there's always an element of doubt that, well, is this really God? Um, I know uh, from my studies that there is a human contamination element in the Bible. I'm not a biblical narratist. I think that there are errors in the Bible. So I will never reach the 100% knowledge point of, oh, a morally perfect God is telling me to go out and kill. The, the only way um, that I could reach this point hypothetically is in the way that Abraham, I believe Abraham did. So God directly reveals to him uh, in whatever way that produces a properly basic belief within him um, to the 100% degree of, of having a warranted true belief knowledge uh, that 
God is morally perfect and he's ordering you to do this. Um, so that that's the only way that I can see achieving the the necessary condition for for going out and doing that so I, you know appealing to scripture will never cause me to do that appealing to oh my pastor said oh, oh no, you're breaking up on me it's it's saying poor connection on my end so it might be me okay cool i think i think you've actually finished off uh just fine but i i do not remember where you left off because it was breaking up that bad that i stopped it that i like i couldn't even it just happened real fast no so worries it's, it's on my end it was. It wasn't. Yeah, it was mine. It was saying poor connection. So yeah, that that oh, happens. Cool, okay. Yeah, that was the Canadian. So thing. that's probably going to happen throughout. And when it does, I'll just let you know, and I'll try to remember. I'm like this time, but I'll try to remember where you left off, and gotcha. it's going to happen again. Then, if that's the case. Perfect. Okay. So so yeah, just to let you know, um, basically, I just left off trying to differentiate. Uh, look, the the way we come to have that knowledge, I would not just read it in a Bible verse or have a, a preacher tell me, oh, I'm God's prophet, go out and do this. Um, I would need to have some sort of direct knowledge through a properly basic belief um, that that amounted to a, a warranted true belief in a 100% degree before I would take the step of doing that. So I had a couple people reach out to me to offer some advice on this one. Um, Kevin Francis, host of the Left of the Valley podcast, and a patron, by the way, uh, he, he recommended that I approach this from a legal perspective. So if someone were to be on trial for murder, but they told you that they had that absolute proof that God told them to kill their kid, would you, if you were on that jury, would you still convict them of murder? So he had proof that he could demonstrate to me as an outside third party that he, God actually, a morally perfect God actually told him to do this? Uh, that wasn't really my question, but but, okay. but maybe answer both then. The, the one I was asking is if, if he told you that he had that, um, kind of like what we have with Genesis. It's, it's just telling us that God told him to do it. We don't really know, um, but you believe it. And I'm wondering, would you believe this guy um, and therefore... Would you say, you know, hey, he's, he's innocent? Okay. Uh, so that okay. So that's a good question. And so I, my answer would be yes or no. It depends on the scenario. So why do I believe in Abraham's case, God actually was telling him to do that? Um, on a balance of probabilities. I'm not 100% sure uh, of that. But yeah, I think I'm 95% certain um, or thereabouts that, the Abraham story is true and God actually told him to do this and and that's what happened um so yeah the the point is for to answer your question is I would believe him if there was sufficient evidence um to point to the fact that God did actually uh, reveal to these people that they needed to do that in, in the same way that the Bible has that Christianity has sufficient evidence to warrant that yeah god actually revealed this religion this is his religion christianity is true and the bible is sufficiently attached to that in including the abraham story uh to that so so therefore i have i have reason to know on a balance of probabilities that god actually was talking to abraham as opposed to him just being crazy um so if the same uh situation applied in the courtroom um, I don't know, maybe he starts doing miracles or something like that in front of everyone, then, yeah, I would believe him. A mutual friend of both of ours, uh, Tara. 
Oh boy. <laughs> she recommended that I ask, would you kill me if God told you to? Would I kill Tara? Well, sure. Would you kill Tara? Uh, uh, another patron of the show, I might add. Yeah. Um, uh, but but more specifically, I'm kind of concerned for my own safety here. Um, would you would you murder me if God told you to? If if a morally perfect God told me to, yes, um, I would. And with Tara, I think she's the one exception where I don't even think I need divine approval. That that's a joke. I'm joking. <laughs> Tara, don't kill me. I'm, <laughs> Yeah, me and Tara have had, have had history. <laughs> um, but but yeah, in the case, I, I've told her many times, yes, if, if I have 100% knowledge that a morally perfect God is telling me to do it to, to you, to Tara, to anyone, um, I would do that. Wow. I know um, okay, a, a, a third and final one. Gail Jordan, executive director of Recovering from Religion, recommended that I ask you about... Muhammad. Muhammad had a nine-year-old wife, a child. He, he was a pedophile. Now, his defense is that God said it's okay. If that's true, is it okay to be a pedophile? Um, so it's, if, and by God you mean a morally perfect God? Assuming, yes, assuming... <laughs> Because it's uh, it, obviously Allah I, is morally uh, perfect. That's what Muhammad believed. So was it? Would, would it hypothetically be okay for Muhammad to rape a nine-year-old? Okay, so I'm answering this hypothetically because I don't believe it is. God couldn't. A morally perfect God couldn't order that. Whereas I think they could order the killing, and that's why I went through how do we define the moral principles themselves. Um, I know Muslim apologists, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm friends with Shabir Ali and that sort of thing, and they'll try to say, oh, well, people grew up faster in those days and that sort of thing. It doesn't... <laughs> I have the same arguments on, uh, from guests on the show, and it just it makes me cringe. Or they'll say, well, that's how things were at the time, and uh, yeah. ugh. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It, it, it is immoral. Um, from a standpoint, it violates a moral principle, therefore, morally perfect God couldn't. That would be the, the case of the contradiction. Um, but yeah, let, let's say hypothetically, there's some logical possible world where a, Muhammad actually had 100% knowledge that a morally perfect Allah um, told him to do this. And then, yeah, the, there would be some moral justification for that. Maybe it doesn't cause the harm in this this possible hypothetical possible world that it does in the actual world, um, which makes it wrong. I, I've, you know, we could postulate any number of scenarios where maybe this kind of thing is actually beneficial uh, in this hypothetical world, um, even if in reality, no, it's bad. It it it's harmful. We all know that there is no justification that would warrant Allah giving this command to Muhammad. So would that does that make sense? Yeah, I I feel like my primary argument that this faith is a threat to humanity is being confirmed in the fact that um, you're justifying a, a hypothetical story from the Old Testament about Abraham and Isaac. You justify a hypothetical story of uh, 
shooting baby Hitler. Um, justify a hypothetical story of uh, how it would be okay to, to shoot a pregnant woman or, or whether or not it's okay for um, someone to rape a nine-year-old or whether or not you would murder me, whether or not um, you would even uphold the law if someone else murdered someone else that was doing it for their God. And it, it, it really shines a light on how dangerous your religion can be. Not that it has to be. I, I, I don't assume you to be a violent person, but all it would take was for you to have a, a short moment of some kind of schizophrenia mixed with this religious dogma, and you would immediately become one of the countless millions of people throughout history that just wrecked havoc on the rest of us. So instead of, instead of using an analogy or a hypothetical or a story from Bronze Age goat herders, I kind of wanted to use something real, mm-hmm. really bring it to real life and get your take on this scenario, because this is exactly what we're talking about. And this really happened not too long ago, just, just before 9-11, actually. Mm-hmm. So Andrea Yates was born Andrea Pia Kennedy on July 2nd, 1964 in Houston, Texas. Gates was a stellar student, a member of the Honor Society and class valedictorian. I said that wrong. And class valedictorian at Milby High School in 1993. She married Rusty Yates, who was a disciple of preacher Michael Peter Warnick. Or, or how do you say that? Waroniki. Waroniki. How should I just go with that one? Okay. <laughs> Waroniki. I'm going to go with Waroniki. I'll say it that way. Who was a disciple of preacher Michael Peter Warrenicke? Through sermons, videos, and personal telephone calls, the Warrenickes condemned the Yates for their hypocritical Christian lifestyle, saying their children were doomed to hell because of their parents' sins. The Warrenickes also preached that married couples should have as many children as possible. She was. I said, yeah, all right, I started with Andrew. All right. Sorry, I'm talking to myself as if you're not there. It's only three paragraphs. Gotcha, no worries. Okay, so so yeah, and her. Oh, oh, oh. I still got, I still got three, three more. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> cool. All right, I'll get to it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to appeal to emotion, like I, like I warned you. <laughs> no worries. Well, right. emotions are, are part of this. It's it's yeah. gotta be yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Of course. Um, she was mother to five children. Their names give you an idea of the religiosity of this Christian household. But the ages on the morning of June twentieth, two thousand one, are truly heartbreaking. Noah Jacob, age seven, John Samuel, five, Paul Abraham, three, Luke David, two-year-old, and Mary Deborah, only six months old. These weren't a couple of rednecks wearing NASCAR t-shirts and slamming Coors Light in front of their trailer. Andrea was a licensed RN, and her husband, Rusty, worked at NASA in Houston, Texas. They were just a couple of well-to-do, Clear Lake City suburbanites, mowing their lawns, and checking their mail like everyone else on their block. On a regular Wednesday morning in the summer of 2001, Rusty left for work. Just a normal hump day, his mother, Dora Yates, was scheduled to babysit the kids only an hour later to take over for a stressed out mom. In the space of that one single hour, she drowned all five children for Jesus. She started with the five-year-old John. She then moved on to the three-year-old Paul Abraham, named after the father of Isaac, who we were just talking about, where according to Genesis, he was commanded to murder his child for God. 
page two was third. All right. Like five more sentences. Oh, no problem. Uh, let me see here. What is third? I literally wrote this just before I called you, so here we go. Oh, take your time. This is important, so yeah. Each of the three boys she held under warm water in the family bathtub until they stopped moving. She gently laid each of them in their bed like they were sleeping. She then drowned six-month-old Mary, whom she left floating in the tub. Noah, the oldest, walked into the bathroom and saw his sister floating there before him in the same place that he took his baths and played with soap bubbles. Mom, what's wrong with Mary, he asked. Mary didn't say a word, and Noah's innocence quickly turned to fear. He then ran, but she soon caught him, and she drowned him. She left him floating in the tub and laid Mary in John's arms in the bed. She then called the police and her husband, Rusty. When interviewed by the detectives, this is what she had to say. All right, so now I'm going to play... Oh, shoot, is this the right one? I hope it's the right one. Let me know if you can hear this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it for you real quick. And then, uh, actually, can you hear that ad? I can hear it, yeah. I can't make out what they're saying, but yeah, I can hear it. And I don't think there's anything of value that she says is more dramatic effect. She just you know, basically says she did it because she didn't want him to go to hell, which lines up perfectly with mm. what you were saying earlier. So that's why I think this will this will phase in great. And then I'll, I'll give you your, your time to comment about this one after, after that. I'll, I'll segue you in. Gotcha. Hold on. Here we go. Okay. there. So basically, she said, just in case you couldn't hear, uh, that if, if she hadn't have killed him, they would have continued stumbling, and then they would have gone to hell. Um, so that's where that is. All right. Let me see. Let me segue in. So, Mr. Glover, we're not talking about a story. Uh, we're not talking about. Uh, uh, what, what I would consider to be mythology, um, or we're not talking about a hypothetical. This really happened. This, this belief that you have in the supernatural, in a, a perfect moral God, uh, in, in a paradise after death, if you, if you do the right thing or believe the right thing or act the right way, uh, in, in eternal damnation, those that are sinners, people that you can judge to be bad, and then they go to hell to suffer thereafter. This is what this leads to. Okay, so so yeah, I guess in the first place, let me just clarify because you, I know you, you don't know me apart from our, our combo here. Um, but for you and your listeners, I'm not a violent person in the first place. I, of course, I've of been course. in. Okay, but yeah, just to clarify, because yeah, some, I, like like I said, I don't think that that you're a bad person. I think you have a bad idea. And in the same sense of where, where Jesus said, um, well, who, actually, Jesus didn't say it. Let me say it differently. In the, in the same sense of the, that old anecdote, uh, hate the sin but love the sinner, yeah. the, the, the humanist version of that would simply just be uh, hate the belief, love the believer, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I, I, I don't think of you as a bad person, but... But your ideas are absolutely evil, in my opinion. Okay, so, so okay, so, all right, thank you. Thank you for, for saying that there. Um, so what I would say, in regards to the belief, though, it, I don't think you should be hating it. And how, how would I, what about Andrea Yates? What would I make? Let's pretend, you know, Kevin Francis, I'm on the jury. I wouldn't believe her. I would condemn her. She's guilty. Um, and it's because in this case, number one, there's no evidence um, that she has actual divine knowledge for me as an outside observer to 
to use. And the evidence we do have actually suggests the opposite. We know she had schizophrenia. She, she's got a mental problem that's, that caused her to do this. So yeah, I would have no problem condemning her, assuming she was fit for trial and, or put her in an insane asylum, whatever she needs um, on that front. Um, but it, it ultimately comes down, do, do we actually have a warranted true belief? Are we warranted in believing that a morally perfect God is telling us to do that? And that's, that's the distinction. So maybe, yeah, may, maybe I could lose my mind. You could lose your mind and you would go around killing people and that sort of thing. Um, if, if you, if you have schizophrenia, you're not really thinking clearly, but in the sense, so long as my rational faculties are operating in the way that they are now and I can you know think through this stuff of course I'll take whatever means I need to uh, to determine do I have 100% knowledge as opposed to just oh I you know it's not like oh I'd have a hallucination of a voice an audio hallucination uh, telling me to do that and I'm like oh okay God told me to do that no I'm, I'm gonna run to the hospital to get a CAT scan and see if I'm going crazy or that sort of thing but it that's why I stress the, the only way it would work is if I actually had a properly basic belief that resulted in a, a warranted true belief. So um, I, I take that in the sense of Alvin Plantinga's definition. I really enjoy his, I really think that his work on epistemology is correct as a foundationalist, um, you know, in terms of defining warrant as, as a belief that true belief produced by a set of cognitive faculties functioning properly. So in, in Andrea Yates' case, they weren't functioning properly. She had a mental problem uh, within a suitable cognitive environment that's designed for those faculties and whereby those faculties are uh, successfully aimed at producing true beliefs. If, if I've got that in the degree of 100%, then yeah, it, 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 that's the right thing to do in that case. If, if I don't have that, then yeah, I don't do that. Maybe they're malfunctioning, so I'm gonna run to the hospital and check if I'm going crazy or something like that. Does that does that help alleviate some of the concern? Because I, I think what people like her, Andrea, would do is they they just jump to oh they had a hallucination, therefore that must be God telling me to do this or or whatever happened or or you know they have a preacher telling them God says do this and then okay I, I better go and do that that that's not what I'm saying I would do I would never do that um, because that's that's not giving you knowledge let alone knowledge in a 100% degree that there's just too many flaws and, and areas for doubt um, how, how would you know if, if God told you to kill me how would you know for sure that you should do it yeah so so in the first place, um, it comes down to epistemology. So I'm I'm a foundationalist, and I'm. Um, are you familiar with the externalist internalist debate and that sort of thing? That like duality, you mean? Um, so okay, so the definition I gave of warrant, right? So knowledge, what is knowledge? It's it's a warranted true belief, and I, I gave the definite planting his definition of what it means to be warranted and. There are some external elements like, okay, well, how do I know I'm in a suitable environment or how do I know my faculties are designed or aimed at producing true beliefs? Maybe it's just, you know, evolutionary processes, they're aimed at producing beliefs with survival value or something like that. So 
the way uh, the way I can answer, well, how do I know that I know? Um, even though the definition of warn includes external elements that I can't directly assess necessarily. Um, as so, I'm a strong internalist. So this is where we have an an internal irresistible inclination uh, to believe those propositions is true. Um, now, I believe this is a generally reliable. Um, and as a strong internalist, I, I think it's infallible when held in the 100% degree. I, I know 1 plus 1 equals 2. I, I just know it. I have this internal irresistible inclination that is activated when the criteria for warrant are satisfied. Um, and only in that strong sense, only do this in the same way I know 1 plus 1 equals 2, then I do that. And that that's very hard to do. I, I'm not even 100%... I don't even claim to have 100% knowledge that God exists in the first place. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a hard standard. It, it's not something that's easily obtained. You know, like so you don't have to be worried about me going crazy or something like that. And I, well, I guess if I go crazy, I won't be thinking. So, yeah, you'd be scared of me. But, um, but I, I honestly I would be um, hmm. schizophrenia in the mind of a person as, as loyal to a God you don't even have 100% faith in would be terrifying. Well, that would need to be corrected in the first place, right? So I, I would need to have 100% knowledge. So that this is sort of a, a restraint. I, in the first place, I'm not 100% convinced that God exists, or I don't claim 100% knowledge that God exists in the first place. So it doesn't matter. You can throw all the voices at me at once so long as I my rational faculties are working properly enough that I can think and reflect on what's going on then I'll, I'll never do it you, you never have to worry about me wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to call you agnostic in that case uh, no because I think it's more probable than not that God exists that's why I, I believe it's true that God exists and not only that that the Christian God is, is true so it's kind of like the, the Bayesian way of believing in God, more or less. Is it, am I close? Yeah, um, I, I did actually. So the way I came to faith is, first of all, um, I started with, okay, does God exist? Um, and as part of that definition, God is morally perfect. Um, once I had that, then I started sort of analyzing, okay, well, which religion represents that God? Uh, so I looked at the, the various religions and... You're right about it's very perceptive of you with the the Bayesian-ish type approach. So what I did wait, is wait, wait, wait. You you picked the religion that, that you thought would be most morally aligned with a perfect God. No, I, I assessed uh, the religions plural. I I spent. But that's using your own your own moral guide to to figure out which God you're going to believe in. Okay, so so put it this way. When I studied the religion, so I, I've proved that God exists and he's morally perfect. Then, I'm say, then I studied the question, okay, well, did he reveal himself in any of the religions? And part of the way I did that, okay, I split it up into there's positive evidences. So things like the miracle, resurrection, or the Shroud of Turin, uh, pro properly basic beliefs or something like that. And also negative evidences, which this would be an example of it. You know, there are moral misapprehensions in the Bible. Does this prove that the Christian God or the 
uh, or Allah is a false god. Uh, there are other, you know, internal contradictions, inerrancy issues is what I categorize those as. Or preserve. Are, yeah, are okay. there some some contradictions that you recognize in the Bible? Yes. Just to humor me, what what would be a couple that you would say caused you some pause? Cause me pause. Um, so yeah, I think it, it's an external contradiction. Then, so the, the age of the earth. I, I think, I think, based on studies, it's more probable than not that the Bible teaches the earth is young. Um, I think that the scientific evidence makes this improb, very improbable. Um, I would say about ninety percent convinced based on my limited understanding as a non-scientist so yeah i would say that's an error um and in terms of its so so you can evaluate okay what's the probability that there is actually an error here and then you multiply that by okay well what's the significance of that particular error um so the way i categorize different errors is or their significances in terms of proving christianity is false on the negative side is i cat i put it in the framework of causing what I call undue confusion. So an error, okay, there's a contradiction in the genealogies. That's very insignificant in terms of causing undue confusion, which I define as confusion that uh, unjustifiably hinders someone from attaining their ultimate purpose in creation or in a Christian context, salvation. Um, so I sort of categorize different errors in terms of their significances a, a minor contradiction in the age of a king almost irrelevant i would say it's um yeah it's not problematic at all whereas oh if there's a a, a moral commandment error or a major theological doctrine uh that turns out to be an error that's much more problematic um if there's an error in the essential doctrines of what i call christianity proper um and pretend it's 100% proven Jesus didn't exist. Jesus' existence is an essential Christian doctrine. Uh, that would just destroy my faith. There's no recovering from that. It's false. It's 100% knowledge that it's a wrong religion. So I, I sort of categorize various errors or, or problems, the negative evidences, let's say, in that in terms of the Bible through that framework. What, Go ahead. What would, what would destroy your faith? One more time, if you don't mind. Um, so if you could prove 100, with 100% 100 uh, degree of certainty to me that an essential belief of Christianity is false. So let, obviously if you prove Jesus didn't exist, that destroys well, Christianity right there. Or, that's not a proper falsifiable statement. You said if I can prove with 100% and you don't even believe in God with 100%. But so, oh, so okay. I think your the evidence against your belief has to be higher for you than the evidence for your belief. That's that's by definition a bias. So that's wrong. Then um, I, maybe I misstated it. Um, but I was just saying there is no. I was giving an example of the strongest possible thing. But in terms of okay. negative evidences, if if it's I had negative evidences um, that I included. If it's over 50%, it's included um, in my calculation. When I plug it into the Bayes to get the cumulative probability of Christianity, which which for me came out to 53.14%. Oh, wow, you did the math. I, I did, yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of a crazy guy. But <laughs> I, did, I did do this for religions, and, and that's... Nerd. 
<laughs> yeah. But, but smarter than me when it comes to math for sure. I'm horrible. Uh, but believe it or not, I'm not a I'm not a math guy or whatever. It t- it took me some work to understand how Bayes works and that sort of thing. And I even that I'm not using Bayes theorem properly. Like I'm not using conditional probabilities. I'm just using direct, simple, normative uh, yeah. probabilities. But, but, but to be honest, Dale, didn't you believe before you made this equation out? I mean, honestly, no, was, I I didn't. It's I, well, just a coincidence that that you grew up. In you know this country that that has uh, been influenced by Western civilization's culture that kind of emerged out of uh, you know the, the the Catholic beliefs of Europe and came from the uh, Roman times of uh, Constantine right and then uh, before that the Abrahamic faiths that you know saying just because I'm from the West Christ I was himself and, yeah, I mean, all of this kind of led up to you being a Christian. It's it's not a coincidence that you were probably taught this as a child. I'm sure. I, w- I was. I, that's where I thought you were going originally. That's a little bit better. Um, if you're going to say why, <laughs> more direct. But I'm just saying, like, you, the, all of all of history kind of leads us this way. If, if we were in China, you, you might believe in Confucianism or something. Yeah, but that. I know that you're smart enough to know that's a terrible argument, right? Like that—that's not. <laughs> um, so, I've heard it's your show. It's not necessarily an argument that, that I would make to attack Christianity, but it, it's certainly something that I would point out whenever someone says, "I arrived at this mathematically," and it's like, "Come on, bro." Well, yeah, there, like, there's like, always you know, the problem you, of. You believed it before this. Well, there. So, so in the first place, yes, I did grow up a Christian, but. Um, I did become, I lost my faith, literally. I, I went through a process of where I, was, I just didn't believe this anymore. I, I went through a short period uh, about 10 years ago of being an agnostic for about five to six months. Um, and then I just realized from the evidence um, that I really did believe in God. I, I couldn't deny that I believed in a theistic God of some sort. Um, but then for the the next eight years, I really didn't believe to go in the Christian God. I didn't know or think that he, oh yeah, he I'm, he's really real, um, but I'm just going to fake it and pretend like I don't believe and stop going to church and stop reading the Bible and that sort of thing. I, I really did do a sincere, to the best of my ability, um, search to evaluate the different religions, even, you know, put, breaking up into positive negative evidences. Uh, with, with Christianity, I actually cheated for the skeptic against Christianity because of my prior thing. On, on the negative side, I had a 95% probability that Christianity is false based on the negative evidences alone. Uh, so even before looking at resurrections or miracles or, you know, at the shroud evidence or something like that, um, I already had a, a, a prior probability of 5% um, that Christianity is true. So I... I was actually more strict on Christianity because I grew up as a Christian than I was with Islam. And, and in 2016, if there was a sincere point where I was actually convinced that Islam was true for a couple months in November and December of 2016. Um, so, yeah, I think that there is there was bias. Like when I came to this conclusion, there was an emotional part of me that I don't want this to be true. I don't want want to be a Muslim, but I made a sincere effort, and I I can attest that it it was true that 
I put my foot down and said, look, this, the evidence, I'm being convinced that the evidence is true here. Um, and it looks like Islam's true. It doesn't matter whether it, it, I like it or not. If it turns out to be true, given my method, I'm going to follow it. Um, I had my, my parents in tears. Um, I remember telling them and, um, you know, one of my mentors, I've, I've been lucky enough to work with certain scholars, but one, one of the scholars who's a, a great friend of mine is Gary Habermas, who I've, I've worked with for years. It, it would have been hard to tell him, yeah, all your efforts for nothing. It, the Muslim, the Muslims are right. Uh, Shabir is right. Um, Islam's true. Um, so yeah, that, that was sort of, a. a the moment where I'm like, okay, yeah, I can admit that there's bias, but it can be mitigated against. Everyone has bias, um, but through our procedures, we can mitigate against it. We can overcome it if we are conscious of those biases and make a deliberate effort to overcome them. And I can tell you in all sincerity, I did that. I was confronted with that, and I, I was able to do that. Um, I was a real seeker, as I call it. Um, as to whether or not I'm, I still am a real seeker, I, maybe that's debatable i've had people tell me now that i've concluded christianity is true i've kind of backtracked and just gone in gung-ho and i should be mindful that well there's a there's still a possibility a strong possibility that it's false right 53 percent that it's true means that there's a 47 percent chance that it's false um so i i still even though i've made my decision i'm still obligated to remain a real seeker for truth maybe 20 years from now i find out uh that Islam's true or that, you know, general theism is true. None of the religions are, are true or, or whatever, I find. So I still have to remain open to that, even though I've come to my decision based on what I know at this moment. So, all right, I'm going to do a closing here. I'll, I'll let you have the last word, and then um, I'll ask you to plug yourself out, if that's cool. Okay. Um, great combo, by the way. Really cool. Awesome. I yeah. really appreciate this. Did it, has, it, has it been going good for you? Are you, are you happy with this direction? Oh, of course. Yeah. No, I, I loved it. Right. I, I appreciated your take. Let me, let me finish out with... Um, I need a list of three. We got two. We got Yates, Abraham. I use, I use Bin Laden. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to acquaint you to Bin Laden. So. Nice. All right. <laughs> that's that's the way to end it. There you <laughs> <laughs> so... We had referenced 9-11 earlier. These terrorists were people that thoroughly believed God wanted them to do what they did. Um, so we we talked about Abraham. We talked about Andrea Yates, uh, referencing someone like Osama bin Laden, for example. These people have something in common with you. They believe God speaks to them. They believe they can communicate with their Heavenly Father, and they are willing to do what they are told. So I want to ask you, in terms of religion, in terms of faith, would you rather live in a world with Andrea Yates, Osama bin Laden, or Abraham, or would you rather not? I would like to live in a world with Abraham. I would not like to live in a world with uh, Osama bin Laden or Andrea Yates. Um, and what's the difference? It's it's that question. Do do we actually are we warranted in our belief that a morally perfect God is actually telling us to do that? Um, and 
I'm not like them. I, I don't, I'm not here. God doesn't communicate to me in, in this way. I, I hope I haven't come across that way. He's never, I've never had visions or hallucinations or anything like that, whatever you want to call it. Um, my, my, you do, you do talk to him, don't you? Um, I pray, uh, but you know what? I struggle with that. My, my prayer life is very poor and I have to work very hard to. Right. But, but specifically, do you, do you think words in your head? Like literal words, they they have they have uh, consonants and vowels in them, right? Mm -hmm. And you think them in your head, and you believe that there is a conscious entity, perhaps beyond the clouds, or by beyond the ether, or in dark matter, or some kind of heavenly scenario of, of existence. But you believe that there is there is an entity hearing this, and and thinking about what you're saying and judging what you're saying, whether it is honorable to him or not, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I thought you were going somewhere else, but yeah, with what Did, you said, yeah, I do believe that. Has he ever spoken to you? No. Has he ever with communicated little... to you in any way? Um, yes, I believe so. Um, it, and again, it, it depends. For, for me, the communication is akin to an irres a properly basic belief or an irresistible inclination. It, it's what Christians call the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Um, so, yeah, he, he never he's never used words. Uh, not, not audibly, but, but he, believe, believe he, did, he reached out to you with a message, more or less. Yeah, I, I would say, yeah, he confirmed certain propositions um, as being true, uh, or I, I felt a guidance or a prompting to, to do something, for example. Um, was it all pretty, pretty just mainstream? You know, you were thinking it already, and then he confirmed it. Or was there anything that was kind of, kind of weird that you would say this had to be God? Um. So, so yeah, there, there was nothing weird in terms of what you're saying, but there, there was, it, it was. Look, this is God. It, the, the properly basic belief, uh, that Christianity is true or that the resurrection is true. Um, that that came from God. That wasn't just me. And then after, after the fact saying, Oh, well, I think God said that, um, no, th this was a dynamic interaction of, of God confirming these propositions or, or this state of action. And this is rare for me. I, I have very few such incidents that I can talk about or something like that. And yeah, I think I've got like maybe four or five since I've become a Christian. Um, but and yeah, these, there's nothing These weird. moments are, are they're real to you because you felt extreme certainty. Would that be a, a fair way to characterize it? Like you, like the reference you did with the two plus two equals four, mm. so one plus one equals two, something like that. Yeah, it's put, put it this, let's call it, it's the same thing that you're, it's almost the same thing that you're talking about, but I, I don't like saying, oh, in psychological, it's a feeling of certainty because that makes it subjective as though it's not real or that sort of thing. But I, I prefer the correct term that it, it's this irresistible inclination, uh, internal irresistible inclination to believe this proposition as true. Um, that, that is subjective. That's you're right. Uh, that that is subjective, but it's it's got an uh, it's got an objective basis. It, it's it's a warranted true belief whereas when you just say psychological feeling of certainty it, it implies that there's no 
there's no warrant to it. It's just a, an emotional feeling, like you're happy or something like that. So that that's the only distinction I'm trying to get across. Well, I've I've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation, and I as well. I once again, I just want to reiterate: I don't think that you're Hitler or Osama bin Laden or or <laughs> Andrea Yates or Thank uh, even Abraham. Even though you you might feel like that would be someone to idolize or. or mimic but i don't think of you that way um so I, I have enjoyed talking to you but i do think your your beliefs are absolutely evil <laughs> fair enough yeah yeah i think and uh, yeah on my end i've thoroughly enjoyed the conversation i, I respect that uh my beliefs come across this way but I, as i said even my my friend gary habermas was wouldn't answer the way I have. He he was asked by Tara because um, he was a guest on our show. So Tara reached out to him, and he his answer was no. He wouldn't. Um, so so I can understand how how it sounds. Um, but I, I hope that it seems like you recognize there's nuance. Like I'm not Andrea Yates. I'm not just supporting craziness. I, there is a a rational justification uh, and moral justification if what I'm saying is true in the hypothetical scenario for what I'm saying. Um, and obviously in real life, that's not the case. I, that's why I'm, I haven't uh, killed anyone to my knowledge. So, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's, I'm not going to be, yeah, that's all I wanted to say. Dale Glover, can you tell everybody where they can find your podcast and if they wanted to reach out to you and ask you some questions? Yep, sure. So uh, we our website for the Skeptics and Seekers podcast is at skepticsandseekers.wordpress.com. Um, we have uh, our season one shows there. Uh, you can leave comments in any of the shows. Uh, you can uh, leave feedback on the website, uh, or you can send us an email at uh, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Cool, I'll wrap it up right there. Um, that was great, man. That was great, and look at that. It was 17 minutes that we started, and now we're, at, well, you can't see it on my end, but we're recording in an hour and 17 minutes exactly. That was a perfect 60-minute combo. Beautiful. Awesome. That is right. so cool. Coincidence, though, I didn't. No, 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 that was God. <laughs> God. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no no yeah. synchronicity, uh, Young or whatever, Carl Young. <laughs> that was great because, and that's, that's the essence of the kind of conversations I want to have. Obviously, there's a lot of hyperbole, mostly from me on that end. A little from you too, you know. But some some of your analogies are attempting to evoke emotion, right? Because you're talking about your baby Hitler, or, you know, shooting a woman, or you know. So, but it's it's that that is good for the listener because you have to have a mechanism to get the message out. And we both had the opportunity to be evangelical about our message Absolutely. using uh, an agreed upon mechanism. So, you know, I I feel obviously my goal was to make. Not really you in particular, but your faith come off as a threat to humanity. Clearly, that was my my agenda. <laughs> and then yours was to argue and, and defend for your faith from a, a philosophical and, and, and logical argument, saying that you know you can either accept it or reject it yeah. based on logic. But we, we can't we can't fall for emotional appeals. Uh, so it was more of an apologist angle, clearly. But yeah, um, I thought that was great. It was it was a good it was a good combo. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, I, I really enjoyed it and that sort of thing. If, if we do, um, 
have our, our season two. My partner's got like a new job, so I, I'm not sure of the, the status of our podcast, if he's going to start that up after the summer and that. But yeah, you're welcome to, to come on our show oh, anytime. I would love to. I would love to. Do you have any, yeah, you guys... do you have any like specific topics that you would be interested in discussing? Or? Uh, no, not, not, nothing in particular. I'm, I'm open for whatever. I mean, clearly, um, the fact that I'm an atheist it would, would probably be the most convenient topic of, you know, does God exist or something? But, you know, it could be politics. I'm, I'm more into that stuff anyway. I'm a political science major right now. And, uh, um, the religion angle, I think, is just like the first step, in my opinion. After after you get rid of the God thing, you can start thinking clearly, which I know sounds like complete backwards talk on your end. And you're like, no! <laughs> it's the opposite. Way, you idiot! <laughs> uh, um, that's, that's just why I, I continually beat that thing up is it, on, on, on the show. It's just that it's your I think people, people, primarily the, the listeners are atheists and, and they like having arguments for their family members at Thanksgiving. It's, it's really the main reason that they like that, I think, stuff like that. I don't know why. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. as I said, I'd love to love to have you on if, if my partner does want to, to start it up again uh, for season two. Yeah, you're more than welcome. I'd love the opportunity. And I, I'd love to have you back on. What I usually do is after I, I interview somebody or, or debate them, as it were, I bring them back and then let them argue with somebody else. Uh, about you know whatever topic they want. So if that's something you'd be interested in doing, I can always get you. For sure. I can always get some kind of atheist to beat up on, or if you, if, like you said, if you want to do a different topic, it's whatever. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I'm up for that. Just let me know. You let me know anytime. Cool, 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 cool. cool. Um, all right, man. I'm gonna get out of here. Thank you so much. All right. Have a great day. You too.